God has the power to change them. Let's imagine for a moment Jesus teaching this passage. And you're sitting out there listening. And He looks at you. He says, Thistles. Thistles. Um, Do you find thistles on, on fig trees? And you respond, of course not, Jesus. I mean, you're not an agriculturalist. You're not a farmer. I mean, you're a carpenter. But I mean, everybody knows Jesus. You don't find thorns on fig trees? Well, well, then let me ask you another question. Do you find figs, good fruit, on thorn trees? Why, no, Jesus, that's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, you're never going to find thorns on a fig tree, and you're not going to find... Figs on a thorn tree. Jesus, to say that that could be possible, anyone who tells you that, Jesus, you can mark it down. They're either crazy or they're a liar. And then Jesus responds to you, Well then, those who call themselves my disciples and bear bad fruit, would not it be the same to say that they were either lying or out of their mind? To make such a statement. Let me take it a little further. Let's imagine that I show up late and I run up here on the platform. And, and the, every, all the leaders are angry with me. They said, Brother Paul, don't you appreciate the fact you're giving the opportunity to speak here and you come late? And I said, Brothers, you have to forgive me. Well, why? Well, I, I was out here on the highway and I was driving and I had a flat tire and, and I got out to change the tire. And when I was changing the tire, the lug nut fell off. And I wasn't paying attention that I was on the highway and I ran out. And I grabbed the lug nut, and as soon as I picked it up in the middle of the highway, I stood up, and there was a 30-ton logging truck going 120 miles an hour, about 10 yards in front of me, and it ran me over, and that's why I'm late. Now, there would only be two logical... I know no one studies logic anymore, but there would only be two logical conclusions. One, I'm a liar. Or two, I'm a madman. You would say, Brother Paul, it's absolutely absurd. It is impossible, Brother Paul, to have an encounter with something as large as a logging truck and not be changed. And then my question would be to you, what is larger, a logging truck or God? How is it that so many people today profess to have had an encounter with Jesus Christ and yet they are not permanently changed? Let me give you a few things to think about. You know I'm telling you the truth. How many times do you go and rededicate your life over and over and over again? How many times do youth groups go to things like this and get fired up and go back to the church and it lasts about a week and a half? And yet, oh, it was a great move of God. No, it wasn't. If it doesn't last, it wasn't a great move of God. It was emotion. It was so many things, but it wasn't a great move of God. Has God worked in your life? Is God working in your life? You will know them by their fruit. You 
will know them by their fruits. Now we go on. Verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruit. Look at this. You need to understand something about Hebrew literature. When you and I want to emphasize something, do you know what we do? We raise our voice. If we're writing, we put it in bold letters or we capitalize it. But to a Jew, it's different. When he wants to emphasize something, he repeats it and he repeats it. That's why you find Hebrew parallelisms in the book of Proverbs. The wicked shall not live in the land. The wicked shall be destroyed. He's saying the same thing, just in a different way to give greater emphasis. That's what Jesus is doing over and over again here. You will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. You will know them by the path that they walk in. You will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And he says, anyone who does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is he talking about? My dear friend, he is talking about the judgment of Almighty God that will one day fall upon the world. That will one day fall, possibly upon you. Oh, dear friend, I cannot look into your heart I am so easily deceived by my own heart. But there is one who is not deceived. There is one who is not deceived, and he's not deceived by a contemporary Christian culture. He knows. You will know them by their fruit. Then he goes on. He says this. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Do you know what your profession of faith in Jesus Christ is worth? Absolutely nothing. Yes. Did you read that passage? Study it. Not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who professes, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. There are many people who are going to profess Lord, Lord, but they are not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. My dear, precious child, are you one of them? Lord, Lord. Now, again, let's go back to Hebrew literature. He said, Lord, Lord. He didn't say Lord. He said, Lord, Lord. What does that mean? This fellow who is making this profession, he is not someone who just all of a sudden decided it's judgment and I better profess him to be Lord. This is a person who emphatically declares to other people that Jesus Christ is Lord. He walks around saying, Lord. He dances up in front while the musicians are playing saying, Lord. He sings the songs, Lord. But Jesus said to him, depart from me. I never knew you. Do you know... Billy Graham is one of the kindest, lovingest men. Yet Billy Graham has said he believed that a great majority of people who attend Bible-believing churches are lost. He said that he would be happy if even 5% of all the people who made professions of faith in his campaigns were even saved. When I'm in Nigeria, I was there last year visiting a mother who's the son was in our church and was martyred by the Muslims. In northern Nigeria, when someone professes faith in Jesus Christ, you pretty much know it's, it's true. Why? They can die because of that profession. But in America, oh, consider the cost. Think, examine your life in light of Scripture. Do you know the Lord? 
Do you know the Lord? Because not everyone who says to Him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But what does it say here? Look what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the sign that someone has become a genuine Christian? I wish that we would start teaching this again. What happened to our theology? What happened to our doctrine? What happened to our teaching? It went right out the window. No one wants to study doctrine anymore. They just want to listen to songs and read the back of Christian t-shirts. What happened to truth? Truth tells you this. The evidence, the way that you can have assurance that you are genuinely a born-again Christian is that you do, as a style of life, the will of the Father. You say, oh, you're talking about works. No, I'm not. I'm talking about evidence of faith. And it goes like this. Your profession of faith is no proof that you're born again because everybody in this whole country professes faith in Jesus Christ. Barnard tells us that 65 to 70 percent of all Americans are saved. Born again Christians. Most godless country on the face of the earth. Kill 4,000 babies a day, but bless God, 70 percent of us are born again. How do you know that that faith you have is not false? A style of life that is concerned about doing the will of the Father, that practices the will of the Father, and when you disobey the will of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes and reprimands you, either personally, through the written Word of God, through a brother or sister in Christ, and God puts you back on the path again. If you're a genuine Christian, you cannot escape Him. Let me give you an example. If I was your pastor, and you were, let's say... 14 years old, and I came back from preaching at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I saw you standing out there in a park or on a corner with a bunch of hoodlums doing things you shouldn't be doing, and you were a member of our church, I would tell you, get in the car. I would take you home to your father. I wouldn't be mad at you. I'd be mad at your father. I would tell him, sir, you are a derelict father, that you would allow your child to be out in such circumstances. I want you to know something. God is not a derelict father. If you can play around in sin, if you can love the world and love the things of the world, if you can always be involved in the world and doing things of the world, if your heroes are worldly people, if you want to look like them and act like them, if you practice the same things they practice, oh, my dear friend, listen to my voice. There's a good chance you know not God and you do not belong to Him. Now, bring this to close. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You say the most important thing on the face of the earth is to know Jesus Christ. That is not true. The most important thing on the face of the earth is that Jesus Christ knows you. It, I'm not going to get into the White House tomorrow because I walk up to the gate and tell everybody I know George Bush. But they will let me in if George Bush comes out and says, I know Paul Washer. You can profess to know Jesus, but my question for you, do you know Jesus? Does Jesus know you? And look how he describes the lost man here. He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In Greek, anomia. A negative particle, ah, not. Word namas, law, no law. And this is what it means. Let me give you an accurate translation of this. Depart from me. Listen to me. If I could come out there and hug you while I was telling you this, I would. Listen to me. 
He says, depart from me, those of you who claim to be my disciples, who confessed me as Lord, and yet you live as though I never gave you a law to obey. I just described a great majority of North American Christianity. If anyone starts talking about law, if anyone starts talking about biblical principles on what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do, how we're to live and not supposed to live, everyone starts screaming legalists. Legalists. But Jesus said, depart from me, those of you who lived, you called me Lord, but you lived as though I had never given a law. In American Christianity today, pass through the gate, praise God, live like the rest of the world, and it's okay, you're just carnal, maybe one day you'll come back. Do you know what happens because of our bad evangelism? We have gazillions of children saved in vacation Bible school. When they hit 15 years old, they enter into the world and live like demons, a great majority of them. And then when they're around 30, they come back and rededicate their life. Maybe they just got saved. Because, folks, it's more than just telling someone you're saved because you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Satan acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. Is your life in a process of change? And then he drops down. He talks about two people, two foundations. Do you know what this passage in contemporary... See, it's important to study theology and it's important to study history. The contemporary interpretation of this passage about the rock and the sand is basically like this. If you're a Christian, you need to build your life upon the rock. Because if you build your life upon the sand, you'll be an unhappy Christian and your life won't go right. That is not what Jesus is teaching and history backs me up on it. It was hardly ever interpreted that way. Do you know what the interpretation is? It goes like this. There are two ways. There's a narrow way and a broad way. Which one are you on? There are two types of trees. There is a good tree that bears good fruit and is going to heaven. There's a bad tree and you know it's bad because it bears bad fruit and it's going to hell. It's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. There are those who profess Jesus as Lord and they do the will of the Father who is in heaven. And there are those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and they do not do the will of the Father who is in heaven and they go to hell. Not because of a lack of works, but because of a lack of faith demonstrated by the fact that they had no works. And then he goes on. This is not two Christians building their house on two different foundations. No, this again is a saved man and a lost man. The lost man hears the Word of God preached, but he lays no foundation. You cannot see in any way in his life how the Word of God is forming and building and sustaining his life. His life is not... How many people in the Southern Baptist Convention, regardless of all our numbers, regardless of everything we say, if we were to simply take this passage and compare the people to this passage and say, are you building your marriage on the Word of God? Are you raising your children on the Word of God? Are you doing your finances on the Word of God? Are you living, separating yourself from the things of this world based upon the Word of God? How many would be able to answer? Answer positively. No. None of that. I profess Jesus. He's my Savior. And my Sunday school teacher told me so. Oh, I know, like Leonard Ravenhill, an acquaintance of mine, before he passed on, used to say, I preach in a lot of Baptist churches once. 
I preach in a lot of places like this once. I could have got up here today with a vocabulary that would have astounded you and preached you things that would have lifted you up and floated you around this room. I could have told you stories that would have made you laugh and stories about dogs and grandmas that would have made you cry. But I love you too much for that. I know, I know because the Word of God is true that there are people who believe themselves to be saved and they're no more saved than not. I know that there are some of you who look around and you think, well, I'm saved. I mean, look, I look like everybody else in my youth group. What makes you think your youth group is saved? Well, I'm like my parents or I'm like the adults in my church or the deacon or the pastor. What does that matter? You won't be judged by them on the day of His coming. My question for you, beloved, my question for you, little child, I mean, you could be my children. And I pray someday when my little boy grows that there will be a preacher who will stand before him and say, Enough of this! Let's get down. What does the Word of God say? How does your life stand in front of that blazing fire which is the holiness of God on that final day? Beloved, precious little girl, beloved, precious young man, on that final day, will your confession hold true? Are you saved? And I'm not talking about, well, I think I'm saved. You know, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but it leads unto death. Well, I feel in my heart of my hearts that I'm saved. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you ever read that the heart is deceitfully wicked? Who can know it? Shouldn't you go to the testimony of Scripture? Well, I know I'm saved because my mom, my dad, my pastor, everybody else told me I was saved. Well, I'm telling you this. What does the Word of God tell you? We talk so much about being radical Christians. Radical Christians are not people who jump at concerts. Radical Christians are not people who wear Christian t-shirts. Radical Christians are those who bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Radical Christians are those who reverence and honor their parents, even when they feel like their parents are wrong. Radical Christians are those who do not... Now listen to me, this is going to make you mad. Who do, and I'm talking to boys and girls, radical Christians are those who do not dress sensually in order to show off their bodies. If your clothing is a frame for your face, God is pleased with your clothing. If your clothing is a frame for your body, it's sensual and God hates what you're doing. Everybody wants to talk about a prophet, but no one wants to listen to one. I'm talking about Christianity. I have spent my life in jungles. I have spent my life freezing in the Andes Mountains. I have seen people die. A little boy, Andrew Maimon, the Muslim shot him five times through the stomach and left him on a sidewalk simply because he cried out, I am so afraid, but I can not deny Jesus Christ. Please don't kill me, but I will not deny Him. And he died in a pool of blood. And you talk about being a radical Christian because you wear a t-shirt. Because you go to a conference. I'm talking about holiness. I'm talking about godliness. I wish. Do you know what a move of God would be in this place? If all of you came under conviction. If I myself came under conviction of the Holy Spirit. We fell down on our faces and wept Because we watched the things that God hates. Because we wear the things that God hates. Because we act like the world. Look like the world. Smell like the world. 
because we do the very things. And we know not that we do these things because we do not know the Word of God. Because even though we claim as a denomination that the Scriptures are the infallible Word of God, basically all we get is illustration stories and quaint little novels. Oh, that God would blow on this place. That we would turn away from our sin. That we would renounce the things that are displeasing to God. And then that we would run to Him. And we would relish Him. And we would love Him. Oh, that God would raise up missionaries. I don't wish the same things your parents want for you. They want for you security and insurance and nice homes. They want for you cars and respect. I want for you the same thing I want for my son. That one day... He takes a banner, the banner of Jesus Christ, and he places it on a hill where no one has ever placed the banner before. And he cries out, Jesus Christ is Lord, even if it costs my son his life. Oh, when he's 18 years old, if he says to me the same thing I said when I was a young man, I'm going into the mountains, I'm going into the jungle. And they say, you can't go there, you're insane, it's a war, you're going to die. I'm going when that little boy puts on that backpack, I'm going to pray over him and say, Go! Go! God be with you. And if you die, my son, I'll see you over there and I'll honor your death. Oh, my God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, God. I don't care about reputation. I don't care what men think. I want you to be honored. I want I want these young people to be saved. I want those that are saved to stop looking around them at a cultural Christianity that you hate and will spew out of your mouth and that they will look at the Word of God and say, I will follow Jesus. Oh, God, I pray for youth ministers and pastors, and I pray that you'd fill them with a spirit of wisdom and love and boldness and discernment. And dear God, whatever the cost, I pray that you would raise up missionaries. I can't help but look at these kids and think of my own little boy. Oh, God, that you would save Ian and that you would raise him up and send him into the worst part of the battle. Oh, dear God, raise up missionaries here. Raise up missionaries. Raise up preachers and pastors and reachers and evangelists that know the Word of God. Oh, God, work in this place. Please work in this place, dear God. Please. 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 Now, with every head, Is there anyone here tonight that would say, Brother Paul, I have been living a lie. I claim to be a Christian, but I love the world, and I look like it and smell like it, and I hate myself for it. And Brother Paul, I am so tired of this Christianity that I'm living. I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick of it. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I just want you to stand up. Brother Paul, want to be saved. Amen. Is there anyone else? 
I want to be saved. Amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. Those of you who stood up, I'm going to come down here and I want you to meet with me. I want to talk to you. Now, you may be seated. Thank you. Now I want to talk to those of you who claim to be Christians. Does your life honor Jesus Christ? Are you looking in His Word to find out how you're supposed to live? I pray with all my heart. The only thing that's going to save the church in America, there's only two possibilities. One is a total reformation in our preaching, in our study of the Word of God. Or the other is fierce, horrifying persecution. That's the only thing that's going to save the church in America. Oh, I pray. I pray that you would return to the Word. I pray. Listen to me, young person. You, you need to know. You need to say, okay, how am I supposed to live before my parents? Go into the Word, find out, obey it. How am I supposed to dress? Go into the Word, find out, and obey it. How am I supposed to talk? What am I supposed to listen to? Bring every thought, word, and deed into subjection to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand. Because I am so tired of people coming forward to make those commitments, and those commitments last in two minutes. I'm not here so that I can write up in my magazine that a gazillion of you came forward. I want you to go home, and I want you to live for Jesus Christ with all your heart. But if you need counseling, you say, Brother Paul, I want to. I want to live for Jesus Christ, but I don't know how. I don't know how. Then in a minute, we're going to give an invitation. I do want you to come forward. Not to make a commitment. You want to make a commitment? You make that commitment right where you're seated. You need to tell somebody, you go tell your pastor. You go tell your youth minister. And you know what? We'll know if that commitment lasts. You know how? Because it will last. We'll know if it's from God. Let me tell you something. For everyone who's here right now, I want to tell you something. If you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, if you made a decision to get saved in these last two days, I want to tell you something. If it was genuine, it will last. If after a few weeks you go right back into the world, live like the world, act like the world, I want you to know something. You didn't get anything here this weekend. You got emotion. That's about it. If you really got something from the Lord, I want you to know something. It will last. And even if you try to run away from it, you won't be able to do it. You won't be able to do it. Oh, I love you so much. I love you so much. I would ask that we all stand. If you need counseling about a decision that you have made, but it's not clear, I want you to come forward. And I'm going to come right down here. Those of you who stood up, there were many of you over there. Who, who say, I need to know Jesus Christ. I want to come down here right now and I want to meet with you and I want to go back over here with you and some other counselors and I want to talk to you and I want to tell you something. Not a five-minute deal, not a ten-minute deal. If you need to talk all night, we will stay. That is the attitude of every counselor in this place. It will stay all night if necessary. All night. God love you. God love you. Let me pray for you. Dear God, please, Lord, there has been so much movement. Last night, Lord, I don't know how much of it was real, but I know that I saw people last night weeping. 
I saw people trying to make commitments, and I believe that there was a great deal of what happened last night was of you. I saw this morning a young man preach, Father, give his testimony, and I saw real working of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how much of all the decisions were real, but there were some real things going on. And I pray right now, Father, I don't know how much will be real. Only time and eternity will show us that. But, oh, dear God, please, please work in Jesus' name.